This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. Havoc Studios in Norwalk, Connecticut. This is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Luke. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Gigabyte Captain John Maladnik. Chris and Lindsay are off for the next couple weeks for their honeymoon. This past weekend, they got married in a really lovely friends and family ceremony in my backyard, Kyle. It was just the most touching, wonderful ceremony I've ever seen. Um, I cried through the whole thing. It was amazing and wonderful. Uh, it was just just totally great. So uh, congratulations to you both. Uh, I don't think you're going to be listening to this episode, but if you do, in fact, catch it, uh, congratulations from all of us, and uh, and we love you. Uh, yeah, we love you guys so much. Congratulations on the, uh, the nuptials and the amazing life you're going to have together. And uh, we can't wait to have you back on the pod to tell us all about your honeymoon. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. Follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have four news items for you today. First up, BattleBots is launching a new summer camp for kids starting next year. The camp will be run by ID Tech, which promises to, quote, bring kids a learning experience like no other. Look for the link on the BattleBots Facebook page. Meanwhile, BattleBots Champions returns to the Discovery Channel this Thursday with bots Double Jeopardy, Ribot, Slamo, Malice, Deep Six, Huge, Pain Train, and Shatter facing one another in a one-day tournament with the winner advancing to face this week's mini-boss, Lockjaw. The show airs at 8 p.m. local time on the Discovery Channel, or first thing Thursday morning on Discovery+. Plus. Speaking of the new show, the teams behind Hypershock, Madcatter, Valkyrie, and Gigabyte listed battle damage robot parts on eBay after their respective appearances on BattleBots Champions last week. As of Monday night, the hottest commodity by far was Hypershock's weapon. Kyle, you can buy Hypershock's actual Drisk. It is gorgeous. It would look amazing on my uh, my trophy-like wall, my wall of BattleBots memorabilia. But alas, I cannot afford it, Kyle, because as of Monday, with two more days to go, it is currently uh, being you know sold for $680, which is just amazing. Um, if you are listening to this episode when it comes out on Wednesday, uh, the auction ends later tonight. So go and uh, throw your hat in there if you uh, are wealthier than I am, which is great. And finally, the team behind Scorpios recently published a teaser video of their bot cutting into a car. They've promised to release the full video when they hit 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. So do your part and subscribe to the channel today. And that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with John Wladnick. 
This interview is brought to you by MaxAmps and the company's new exclusive line of combat robotics batteries called Max Combat. Max Combat battery packs are built in the U.S. and designed for both durability and performance for combat robotics. Max Combat batteries come with custom wraps, including your team's logo, internal hard skins for extra protection, puncture-resistant wire sleeves, and a custom metal Max box for charging and storage. Check out the Max Combat section at MaxAmps.com. This week on the podcast, we have a very special first-time guest, Gigabyte Captain John Mladenik. John has made his BattleBots debut during the Comedy Central era with bots like Rambyte and Megabyte. He returned to the modern era of BattleBots with Gigabyte, a hard-hitting shell spinner that ended Season 6 with a 13-10 and 10 record. He also competed on King of Bots with Megabyte, which went deep into the competition, ending the show's first season in third place. Last season, he acquired the hard-hitting vertical spinner Cobalt after the bot's original builders retired. We're catching up with John following the season premiere of BattleBots Champions, where Gigabyte appeared as the episode's mini-boss. We're looking forward to learning more about the team in our hour of head, so welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, John, I've been wanting to have you on for a long time. I'm so glad that we've been able to finally make it work. Uh, we have a lot of fan questions for you, and I have a lot of questions to start us off with. But first, let's talk about BattleBots Champions. Um, this was in week two of filming, after the bot had already faced Uppercut, Smee, Captain Shredderator, and Tantrum. What shape was the bot like the bot in going into BattleBots Champions? What was that? Uh, what was it like? How was it doing physically? Well, we we have two robots, and we kept them both up ready to fight after every single fight. And it was a little bit harder this year than season uh, five was, but yeah, it was ready to go. It's just we had to make that decision if we were going to use that fork mechanism we used on Tantrum or not, and. You know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I'm thinking maybe we should have, but because <laughs> I know that, you know, once he has a nice wedge that gets under us and hits us with that amazing weapon he has now, that he really upped his game this season. That weapon was just doing so much damage. And I saw that in the, in the you know, during the season before this tournament even started. I, I, I think I was working on the robot and I didn't get to watch all those fights. I got to see him Thursday, really. The, all the pre-fights, but yeah, that was, uh, you know, I'm just glad it was a good fight. I'm, I'm glad everyone enjoyed that, that beating we took. <laughs> it was pretty spectacular. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, all right. So let's talk about Hypershock's run ahead of your match with them. How much of that did you get to see from the pits? Were you like pretty much ready to go with the robot? Were you just kind of like standing by? Were you able to watch all of those fights? No, I didn't really get to see him, like I said, until Thursday. Uh, I mean, we were I was also worried about getting everything perfect in the robot. You know, that's that was it. That that's what I was worried about. And then trying to decide if we were gonna use the, the fork mechanism. It it you know, we weren't convinced it it was what we needed, but I, I think it might have been better than than not having it, you know, because it is made to break off if there's a big hit, but at least in the beginning he wouldn't have got under us and hit us. And the very beginning of the fight. And that's the same, it would have been closer to a tantrum fight, I think. We could have lasted a little bit longer, I think. Yeah. Um, so knowing how his run was going during that tournament, how confident were you going into that fight? 
I'm, it's always, I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic. I wasn't, I mean, the, either one of those, uh, Martin's, uh, you know, Cat King or Hypershock would have been a tough fight for us. And we knew it, you know, that yeah. it's that rock, scissors, paper. And when they have a kick-ass wedge and they're drivable like that, you know, the Gigabyte will never be that drivable, right? And there's no way we'll be able to maneuver no matter what we do as well as those two robots do. So they got that drivability. They have the corners to put us in. You know, once they get us in those corners, we're in trouble. And then they have, both of them have a kick-ass vertical weapon. And once that weapon gets under the shell lip, you know, there's not much we can do. Yeah. You know, it gets, it, it takes those big hits. It, it did quite a bit of damage to the shell, but it's all repairable at least. It's not nothing that was completely destroyed the shell. That's the nice thing about the titanium shells. You end up putting holes in it that we just patch and weld. Um, and so that's, that's a good thing because that was a pretty expensive shell to make. Whew, I'll bet. Yeah. All right. So I always like asking builders what they think about the fight now that they've watched it air, right? I mean, obviously you had the experience of seeing it live. You might've been able to see some playback footage of it at the tournament, but this is your first time seeing it since pretty much you were at BattleBots, I'd imagine. Did it go pretty much the way you remembered? Did you like have any big visual, like visceral reactions watching this fight? There's only one thing that went different than I thought. And when, and in the end, at the very end there, you know, it, he had broke our, one of our blades and the thing vibrated like crazy. And when it was vibrating, I cannot drive it. I try to go one way. It goes the other. I try to go that way. You know, it's just, there's no way to drive it for some reason. And I thought at the end there that I drove toward him and got hit by him when he wasn't moving. Cause you know what? He was kind of crab walking there for a while and he had recovered from that and he ran into me. I didn't see that when I was dry. I thought I, right, yeah. cause I'm just trying to get it to move one way or another. And I thought I drove into him and that's not what happened. If you look at that close, he drove right into me for that last hit of the whole fight. So that's really the only thing that went a little different. Um, you, you know, once we lose that blade, it's hard to get, it's hard to get big hits on, the same thing happened with the second Copperhead fight, right? We He broke our blade and we're vibrating all over. At that time, Matt would slow it down a little and I could drive and then, you know, speed it up to hit him. And it made it a little more drivable. And I, I don't think he did that in the, the Hypershock fight. And I didn't even think of saying, hey, you know, I can't drive this. Because sometimes I don't know, is it a wheel or is it the vibration? Uh, and it was the vibration. You could see, if you watch that fight, you could see it vibrating like crazy. The, I think one of those blades was kind of hanging out. Yeah. It, it wasn't even fully off, but it wasn't mounted. It, like, I think all the bolts broke and it was, it was hanging out. It, you can't see it when it's spinning. You got to see when it comes to a stop or, you know, after a hit, it comes to an instant stop and you can kind of see it. I know Will thought that you drove at him because he, he didn't think he could possibly generate enough force to do what he ended up doing to your robot. Uh, without you also kind of driving towards them and adding to that kinetic energy load. Um, can you describe what that damage was like? Like, what was it like going into the bot to, or into the box to collect your bot after that fight? Well, that, you know, we've been uh, uh, deshelled. That's the third time. And the first two had the exact same failure. And this was definitely different. And you could tell from the beginning, the mast is still on. And before, you know, I had some, of those the spindles the whole main middle you know center of the robot that everything rotates around made in china and they made it out of the wrong material and that's what happened with tombstone and the first copperhead fight yep. but this wasn't that and 
instead there's eight bolts that hold the shell onto the pulley that get that's spun by the you know by the big weapon motor and those bolts pulled right out of the aluminum so we're talking all eight bolts there's seven sixteenths bolts and they're at least an inch and a half of tap on each one so he didn't do that one hit yeah it's at least an inch and a half of tap on a aluminum now i suspect that that was made in china i suspect it's cast aluminum but we've never had problems with never had a failure like that yeah now we had a fight where they pulled out a little bit but what we did is we got longer bolts so it goes all the way through the witch doctor fight we took a beating in that and they did pull out in that fight but not all the way out they just pulled part of the way out and we just use longer bolts so they they get tapped in there at least an inch and a half i think it's like two inches um so that uh, that is you know when you get a failure like that it, it's and that you never had before and you just make a change and you don't get that one again but the next time it's going to be something else right so there was some other damage i he ended up hitting a wheel with his weapon and it broke the axle on on one of the drive wheels gotcha so that's made out of uh 17-4 stainless that we harden, and it's really tough. It's a really tough stainless, and we've never had a, a bend or a break on those ever. So that's uh, that was an, another new thing that failed. But you know, our, our wheels don't get hit that often. You know, they're kind of underneath inside the shell. But his wedge got under us, and so he got a hit right on one of those wheels. Might have been that last hit too, because that wheel kind of flew. You see at the very end when the do, yeah. chassis flew one way and the shell went the other. You see that wheel. And an axle popping around after that. <laughs> yeah, Will Bales is an agent of chaos. I think that's for sure. And most of the time that chaos is directed back into his own robot. Uh, he figured out this season how to redirect it towards his opponent. And I think that's <laughs> that's really served him well. Yeah, he's so fast. And, that, you know, by having that speed and getting under... And having such a kick-ass weapon that combines into such a fearsome robot to fight, you know, and the only way to have a chance is to not let him get under you. Because once his wedge or forks get under you, you're in trouble. doesn't matter who he's fighting. Um, so, wh- you know, whoever he fights in the future has to win that ground game because you just lose that ground game once and it's pretty much you know, over. And you've seen that in the whole tournament. Everyone he fought, he really beat up pretty bad. He really did. He really did. All right. So let's go, let's take it back. Let's talk to, let's talk about the the early 2000s. Um, way back in 2001 with your BattleBots debut. So this was during the Comedy Central era. What what gave you the idea of getting involved in combat robotics? What gave you the idea of heading out to BattleBots and giving it a try? Well, I was watching it on TV and I was obsessed, you know, and I was watching all these robots and it was, you know, we all, me and, you know, I'm an electrical engineer, but me and some electrical engineers would go out to board and we design our own robot and we could do this, we could do that. And, you know, a lot of those things, once you read the rules, you can't, there's a lot you can't do, right? Until you <laughs> right. really do so, you know, we got, I got a group together and we, we tried to build something, but we're all electrical engineers. We didn't know how to weld. We didn't know anything about mechanical. And I was telling my mechanic that, and he said, oh, I got a, I got a friend that, you know, he loves building stuff. Maybe he wants to join you. And that was Carl Lewis. And so Carl came and met with us and he had an idea. And his idea was to take these, nine, at the time, it was a 999 is what it cost for a Sears drill. He took four of those. 
He took the EV Warrior. He got surplus at uh, Industrial Liquidators. And he took a cooking pot that he uses in his running club for cooking beans. And he turned that into a shell. It was aluminum. And, and, he, and he spun the shell with that EV Warrior. And it was four-wheel drive. And, and it looked like a birthday cake. I mean, it, it just didn't look like a, a fierce robot. And we won our first four fights and made it too deep in the TV round. We won the first one against Herr Grippounden and uh, uh, Dave is the guy who did that. And that means Mr. Good Pounding, at least in a, like, not real German, but he's a German guy, but that's what the <laughs> name. And then we, we lost to Salad, which um, was Dalid, Dallas Goke, uh, his And at the end of that fight, Salad was smoking and dead, but he got saved by the bell. He owned us that fight, though. He pushed us around and he, he undersized his motors, so his motors were smoking. Not from us hitting them, but, you know, from him not replacing motors before the fight. And they, they just right. burned off in the fight. But he got saved by the bell. He thought he lost. We thought we won. We thought we were going to go three deep in the TV round. But, you know, we came out of that. It was either three and one or four and one. I, I don't I don't remember exactly. But I still have the pod. You know, they gave you winning pods back then in my wallet. So I have right. that very first win. Actually, that the first win was against the Bambino. He, he was It was shaped like home plate. And he had two aluminum bats on each side that, <laughs> that went up and down, bam, 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 bam. And so, yeah, that was our first fight. We won a decision on that. We knocked both bats off. On that. So, yeah, that was really Carl's design. He, we, 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 we watched Ziggo. We really liked, you know, how Ziggo did really well. Of course. And, and that's when, you know, once we got hooked on shell spinners and I learned all the mechanical sense, I had, I didn't know anything about mechanical and it was about really about 2002. I started using SolidWorks to, I wanted to cat everything, you know, uh, although we didn't machine, we didn't see and see things. Carl would machine some things by hand, but it was more of a, you know, everything was done by hand back then. Right. Right. You're catting it, but then you're, then you're going off drawings to do stuff by hand. Yeah. And it's, and it ends up, that's what the. The first one catted was Super Megabyte. And when we came back with Invader, it was Super Megabyte. We took that chassis. And then I had Brent, who's a machinist, 35-year, maybe 40-year machinist. And he went nuts that the left side and the right side didn't line up because everything's done by hand. It doesn't match up. And when we <laughs> added new parts to it, each one had to be custom. And that, that, to at be that balanced. point, yeah, at that point, I decided I want to cat everything. I want to machine it. I want everything to be CNC'd, water jetted, whatever. I don't want things drilled and uh, everything by hand. You know, yeah. we do stuff after the fact by hand, but not the building. Right, of the on area. site when you, when you need to. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what was it like as a competitor back in the Comedy Central days? We all know what it's like now giant tent giant pits you've got you know the 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 decent catering it's a, it's a very uh like kind of camp experience i think most builders describe it as it's like summer camp with all your friends where you go to break each other's toys what was it like back in 2001 like what was it like walking into the building what was the vibe how did you feel i was totally blown away it was 400 robots right and we're talking <laughs> As big as that whole tent in Vegas filled with robots of all the different weight classes. And it, we, we were fitted by people in the same weight class. And that's where we met John Nielsen. He was on the opposite side of us with Axma, And he never did anything like that before. And we never did anything. But he built his own motor controllers using little um, um, 
servos in the servo with a potentiometer. <laughs> it's like, and that's so fragile, you know, when he got hit and he fought a shell spinner. What was the name of that turbo? I think it was. And he just got beat up. And, you know, after he started working with us, I had, I'm an electrical engineer. So I went and researched and I found those Vic 883s. So the Vic 883s were the staple of, of BattleBots back then. And all the way, last I heard, Tombstone was still using them. And I gave it him worked. a few I had that still worked. Yeah. He gave me an old E-Tech. This was a few years ago. And I gave him those uh, those Victors. <laughs> so it's like, and I, we took that E-Tech and modified it and we used it. So um, that was a good deal for me. Yeah. I, I spoke to Ray after he reluctantly gave up using those speed controllers. <laughs> what was it, two years oh, ago? Oh, so what is he using now? Uh, he was using Rage last I checked, but I don't know what he's going to be using the, the next time he comes around. So we shall see. We shall yeah, see. Yeah, Rage was part of my my evolution of motor controllers, too, and it wasn't a good experience at all. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he uh, he might have felt the same way. All right, so let's talk about – so there was the BattleBots era of Comedy Central, and then obviously that went away. And then there was a long period of time with Robo Games um, and that sort of competition. Robo Games, I hear, the rumor has it, is coming back. Yeah, and I signed up both robots. Now, unfortunately, I'm on a waiting list with Cobalt, but um, Megabyte got in. Megabyte and Gigabyte are the same robot. So right. Yeah. So yeah. So we use we we use Megabyte. To, so I think it it got in, and hopefully Cobalt gets in too. That's awesome. I was hoping to hear that. That's fantastic news. I'm very excited about that event. I think that's going to be a lot. Of yeah, fun. we need to practice. It's hard for us to drive and test these things. They're so dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. There's there used to be opportunities to do that with Robo Games, and now that I'm so glad that that's back for everybody. Yeah. So back after BattleBots went off the air, there were actually played all over the country events. Robo Games was a big one, but we took Megabyte to New Orleans. North Carolina, uh, there was the Pittsburgh wasn't heavyweight, but I had other robots that we fought in Motorama. And um, what else? There, there had to be more. There, oh, there, there actually was a, I, I guess it wasn't RoboGames, but Dave put it on. It was like at a party down in San Diego. So that he put a heavy and super heavyweight event on as entertainment for a party, kind of just like the Remars was. But yeah, it was fun going all over the country and we go to a, an event in Minnesota. That was another one called Mech Wars. And after Megabyte won the national championship for the RFL in 2003, we took it into the home event of the super heavyweight champion, um, Mermad, I think was the name. And he was the super heavyweight and that was his home event. And he was so arrogant and it's a double elimination and he did beat us the first fight, but we knocked everyone out, came back to fight him in the finals. Right. And the finals was a single fight and he had a four wheel drive and he had one wheel bus. He was like, Oh, I don't need to fix that to, to beat megabyte. And he didn't fix it. And we knocked the other one off. <laughs> so, he, he, so we beat him in the finals. So we won the super heavyweight championship of mech wars against the, 2003 super heavyweight champion as a as a heavyweight too so yeah after we were beating everyone for so long we were entering megabyte as a super heavyweight in a bunch of events it did really well really cool. uh, 
yeah, and then we finally built the super megabyte, and it, it, it ended up doing pretty well too. So, all right, you've specialized in shell spinners pretty much since the beginning, right? Why shell spinners? What is it about this design that fascinates you? What is it about this design that motivates you? And you know, what what is the 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 draw for them for you? Well, you know, our idea was to get half of the robot in the weapon, you know, and by having the shell, it's the protection also. So historically, we took very little damage inside, you know, and that that first titanium shell, it it had over 100 fights in that shell, and it made it through until the very last fight in in um, in China, the very last fight of um, um, King of Bots one, where we took third place. That it that fight was the only one we didn't use that titanium shell, and we we used the old super megabyte shell with all the holes in it. If you watch that fight, it just has these huge holes cut out of the side, <laughs> but it was a multibot, right? And a multibot doesn't do well against you know little square multibots don't do well against the big shell spinner. I mean, our our shell was as big as each of those robots, right? So, and it was a father son team. They did really well, and then they had to fight megabyte and we just destroyed both of those robots one was in flames and one was in pieces and they both were crying that's the first time i saw somebody at a robot event crying you know and it, i felt bad and then i when you when i feel bad i try to joke about it i'm like i did the tom hanks <laughs> it's like they're crying there's no crying in combat robots do you, do you remember that movie of uh, course a yeah the league of their own yeah there's no crying in baseball. So that's <laughs> how I felt. <laughs> but they're very emotional and they're very sweet. You know, the people in China, the builders, all the fans, the, they, they hire interpreters for all the international teams. They're all just such nice people. And that's what made that event so wonderful to me it, it is the people. And I there's still, I have friends that I still chat online with uh, that are living, still living in Shanghai. You know, they're, they're stuck over there. Yeah. So tell me, uh, we'll go ahead and jump to that. So King of Bots, you were like a main character in the the drama that was that TV show, right? King of Bots, for, for fans that haven't seen it, it was uh, part celebrity, like reality competition show, part robot combat show. It was extremely high production value. It was... Um, really compelling robot fights. It was act- it was a really good show. Um, what was like, who called you, who contacted you to, do, you to be involved in that? What made you decide to say yes to that event? Well, one of the organizers for that show came to RoboGames. And when we first put Megabyte together, you know, this was after Invader. We designed this from scratch. I had it all catted. I spent at least six months in iterating this CAD before we fabbed all the parts. And so we, the first test of it, we didn't even have the shell painted or anything. It was to take it to Robo Games where it didn't do very well, but um, he was there and he, you know, he knew, he, he knew our, our Megabyte from the past and he, he'd seen all the old videos. And so he invited us and then we, I, you know, I gave him my contact info and, you know, he just contacted me later. His name was Karma. I think that was his name. And, he was like the whole head of the, um, at least at the lower level. I don't, you know, he wasn't like a VP, but um, yeah. So once he invited us and I got a team together, 
you know, because I didn't really have, I only had two or three guys and the, most of the people I knew didn't want to go. So I, I recruited from outside my team uh, to get a team of five. Um, at that time, we were using we were using a contactor for Invader, and that's why it got stuck on. That was a sort of a disaster. And <laughs> yes. I had yeah, I had designed. Everyone told me you can't use a contactor with um, lipos. Lipos will blow up. And so I was worried when someone told me that a builder. I was worried about the lipos. So I did a lot of design and research to make sure that the lipos I choose can burn out the wire going to the motor. So there's no way the lipos are going to blow up. If they can put out 2,000 amps and you have a 2,000 amp stall current, they're not, you know, you're going to melt your connectors first. And that, and that was totally true and it's still true to this day. But I didn't think about what happens when you short, you know, on a contactor instantly to that load. When you have batteries that can output infinite current, right? The only thing that stops the lipo from blowing up, uh, I mean, from putting out current, is blowing up. It just outputs infinite current until it blows up. So you've got to design the system so something's going to break before, you know, if there's a short down at the end of the line, you know, at the motor, you got to make sure the, the LiPo can survive that short through the connectors, the wires. And if you undersize your batteries, that's not the case. You know, if your batteries can only put out 500 amps and your connectors can handle 550 amps you're blowing your lipos up if you get destroyed so that that didn't happen ever for us we've never had that kind of problem but the contactor welded shut and it was a 2000 amp contactor the same one that uh tombstone uses i think he still uses it and it shorted and when i took it apart and cut it open looked at it there were like drips of copper dripping down the side i mean that's how much current you know it's like a welder and it did weld shut and it it, it came loose later in the you know, in the pit area when I cut it apart, but we couldn't go with a contactor anymore. We we knew we can't go back to NICADs. NICADs lower their voltage and then ramp up on their own so you don't blow them up when you short them to a, a big load. So I, I recruited Mike Lindbergh because me and him did a motor controller at Phillips. It was a brushless, but he did all the analog. I did the digital and he developed one that we took to China and it worked perfect. And that's the first time we started winning. When we had that motor controller that can modulate the spin, it, it'll output 2000 amps at 80 volts and it weighs less than a pound. There's no way you can buy something like that. It just doesn't exist anywhere in the world. Now we're, we have it in production, but you know we are having a hard time getting the parts, but Malice is using it and at um, Remars, they just kicked the crap out of jackpot. And their that motor controller worked perfect for them. And Bunny was so happy. She just came over and hugged me. And she, in the speech, she's like, yeah, if it wasn't for Gigabyte's team, uh, you know, you know, she was just so happy because they were having so much problems with their motor controller. So that 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 was a, a big thing. And we iterated that three or four times, We you know, after we have a failure for one reason or another. Uh, but the, yeah, China was the first time we used that motor controller. and. Uh, yeah, that was a great experience. And I went three times. So three, all three different King of Bots I had. Then one was called This Is Fighting Robots. And then the last one was King of Bots 2. And we were voted the most popular robot. And they gave me a trophy for that. And they did that from uh, fans on uh, Weibo. They set up Weibo pages for all of this. And so China fans. That's really cool. Um, and then I get the trophy and I was like, the it's all the team. You know, it's not. And it has my name on it. It's like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
supposed to have megabyte. I even went to him. Look, why does this have my name on it? This is supposed to have megabyte on it. <laughs> you know, I like to I like to give some credit to the team. You know, it's a team effort. Oh, that's really cool. Which of the three events was your favorite? Um, I, I, I gotta say the first one cause we did so well. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did well in the other ones too. I mean, uh, the, 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 the one that was, um, let's see, is that this, this is fighting robots was interesting cause it was a different set of rules every single round. And so it, you know how you have a set of rules for whatever the event is, they changed them completely. And the very last one, there was two teams that were far ahead of everyone. One was my team and one was uh, uh, a team that had, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, I, I keep, he has that really good flipper in the UK. Uh, his last name's Young. I, I know that. Uh, but anyway, so, and it came down to what they did is you pick, you have five robots on a team and you pick the order and you don't, they don't tell you who you're going to fight. But you go out there with one configuration. You you know, if you have a wedge, you put it on. You get forks, you put it on, but you can't switch. And then they randomly choose who you fight. And it's the first two go in there. And whoever wins stays and fights the second guy from the other team. And then whoever wins stays in there and fights the next guy until the very end. And at the very end, you know, whoever wins, whoever's left wins that, wins the whole thing. And we, we got to that last fight and we had... um quantum which was specter out there against that flipper and they're both uk bots and it went down to a split decision and we thought we won and they thought they won but they they won the judge so that was um <laughs> but it was close i remember that yeah it was very close it was very close it was a very strange set of circumstances for sure yeah and that was the first time that i saw um Martin do his professional wrestler thing and he was on our team, right? He's, he's on our team and they want to do an interview with the two top, two of the top robots on our team. And it was me and him. And he starts talking like that. And I'm like, what, what's going on here? What, what are you doing? Martin? He's like, I'll tell you what, and he's saying all this stuff. And I, I just blew the whole interview because I never saw that. I was just kind of blown away. And then I had to apologize. I'm so sorry, Martin. I didn't, I had no idea you had a stick like that. I didn't see that before. He comes from a, a background of a family of actors. So he has that. Yeah, he has that, uh, you know, experience or seen it growing up of being able to pretend you're someone else. You know, most of us engineers have a hard time being ourselves, let alone trying to pretend to be someone else. <laughs> it is fun interviewing uh, Martin just because he can turn that on and off so quickly. Yeah, he's a great guy, it's too. He's such a good guy. He's he does so much guy. for the robot community. It's just, it's just crazy. So many teams have spun off of him. Let's talk about the reboot of BattleBots. So, from my understanding, you were you were kind of out of the sport for a minute. Yeah, about seven, eight years, and I, you know, I got to the point where I was just exhausted, and I had three daughters that needed my attention. Now the older ones, I did build them robots and we went, you know, and they got to go fight in, a, in events like in the Motorama, they each had um, a little titanium wedge and they might've won a fight and then they ended up losing. And um, that that was when I realized they, you know, the three daughters are not as into it as I am to come and just to spend time with dad. But 
you know, Kilobyte made it to the finals, right? And I, they always walked in, we had our shirts and they always walked in with me and it was just part of the whole thing. Of, and I couldn't find them. It's the final, it's the end of the night. It's like seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. And I can't find them. I send some woman into the woman's bathroom and they weren't in there. And finally I go back to my pit area and they're both cuddled up under the table with their teddy bears sleeping. And I was like, oh man, they've been here since seven in the morning. So they're exhausted, you know? And I didn't wake them. It's 12 hours. Yeah, yeah, I didn't wake them. I just left them sleep and went out there and it was double elimination. I ended up winning the first and losing the second too. So that kind of sucked. But it was a good fight. <laughs> it's really funny. It's really funny. So BattleBots comes back on the air. ABC did you get invited to that first season? Did you hear about it? What was the... I did. I did. Yeah. I, I wasn't interested. I just wasn't ready to get back. And I didn't even consider it. I just said, no, I'm done. And then that first season, Matt had contacted me and invited me to come to to be a friend of the team. You know, you get to go back into the pit areas. And they had big screen TVs and... I got to see all these people I haven't seen in years. And, you know, everybody wanted to shake my hand. They remembered me from back when, you know, Megabyte was at the top of its game. And it just got me back excited about it. And I think it was like a month after that, that Matt and I met in Orange County, you know, to, to talk more about it. And we ended up, you know, we started at 11 in the morning at a place eating lunch. And when we left, it was dark out and i think it was like six o'clock and it's like we've been here seven hours it's like that's ridiculous and w once you get matt talking it's hard to stop him but it it was a two-way conversation <laughs> yeah so he brought me back so when he retired i made it my goal to bring him back and i every single year i invited him to come to china with us too you know like he had a free trip to china you and wendy both and he's like no nah, he didn't want to go. And finally, I got him to come back season five to come and be part of the team. That's cool. That is cool. So Invader, when you came back with Invader, was that, that was the, you said it was the original Super Megabyte? It was, yeah. But using the Megabyte titanium shell, because it wouldn't make weight with that old steel shell. Of course. But we did cut holes in it, so it, we could use it. Of course. What a weird first season to have back. Yeah, that was season two of the abc one i think yep. yeah and you know we had tested it and that was a disaster for me because i was i put so many hours into that to get it going and for it to fail on that very first fight it just shorted you know that contactor shorted and it just on and on it was like 45 55 minutes just kept spinning and they would not let me back in that arena either they just not for a grudge match not for anything even though I, we put it all together, we put a double switch on it. So if one fails, the other one. And in that case, one switches with no load. So it'll never short, right? So you right. have two of them. You have no chance of getting a total short. So, or much less chance, should I say. But yeah, they wouldn't let us in. And I was like almost in tears. I was in such, you know, depressed after that fight. And this this story, as I told, I told the interview in China, this story. Uh, and... The, the woman interviewing me started crying when I told her the story. And that's one of those things is that they, they, they have their heart right there, you know, when when you tell them the story. And the story was I, I told them how I was really depressed. And 
my daughter comes to me and says, dad, it's not a failure. If it's only a failure, if you quit, it's not a failure. If you learn from it and continue and make it better. And that's something I have told her, you know, all the time. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, I'm, I, whatever this is, the problem, I'm going to learn from it and make it better. And that's when I decided to design a whole new robot from scratch, which was the current version of megabyte gigabyte. And it's been through iterations, but the basic design is the same. Um, and and then, then when China came up, you know, we did RoboGames and China came up and I'm like, yes, I'm going to do that. And then BattleBots came up at the same time, right after I already signed the deal for China. That's right. It came up and then I had to split the team into two and we fought at the same time. You know, actually, this was uh, that we did that twice. Yeah, we did that twice, season uh, three and four. I was in China, both of those. And uh, I think Carl drove and Brent was the captain. Said, yeah, three and four. Season five was the first time I ever drove a robot in BattleBots. And a lot of people were shocked by that because I'm always there. And even when they fought Tombstone, Carl was driving. And if you watch that video again, you'll see Ray <laughs> saying, John, stop driving. <laughs> like, well, stop driving, China. John. Stop yeah. driving. I'm in China. I can't there. do anything. <laughs> He's just so used to you behind the sticks on that thing. That well, but I, I never it. drove it. And I never drove it till <laughs> season five. I drove Super Megabyte, and I guess we fought a lot. And with Tombstone was a super heavy, right? Yep. It was last ride with the heavyweight. So, yeah, we fought a lot. I drove Super Megabyte, and I drove Kilobyte. Uh, so that's probably what was in his head. And I'm always there when Megabyte's fighting, so. That's so funny. Yeah. And then we changed the name because I didn't know if I could keep the same name. And I kind of wish I would have just kept it and let the, you know, let the chips fall as they may. Because we signed a contract on both sides about the name. And that's, there's something in the contract about it. But uh, other people kept the same name and they never got called on it. Yeah. It's, it gets really, uh, you know, international copyright law gets really weird there in that, in that space. Yeah. That contract was crazy for China. I mean, it was literally 50 pages of signatures and thumbprints. They want a thumbprint on every page. So, but they said I could scan it in. So I, I took one thumbprint, scanned that in, and I cut and pasted that on every page and <laughs> sent it to them. But I'm not sitting here with an ink thing, ink in every page. That's not going to happen. <laughs> All right. So let's get into some listener questions. Uh, we have quite a few. Um, so we'll just kind of zoom through these as quickly as we can. So this comes from Ryder Liangle. Uh, so he said, what went through your mind doing that much destruction on a legendary bot like Biohazard and basically retiring one of the most decorated bots in the sports history? Yeah, that was uh, kind of a, a, a significant moment for us. I mean, I, I didn't expect that. I, and here's the thing is I think biohazard take away the two big spinners that messed him up. I think he still beats everybody. All he has to do is take that same robot and put armor that can handle the hits. He wins those fights. And it's a shame that it made him, him quit because it wouldn't have been that hard for him to figure a way to beat megabyte and uh, brutality. The two that really messed him up there that season. Um, so yeah, it was kind of sad, but it was really, I'm still proud of that, really proud of that fight. It was a pretty amazing fight, you know, back then. And the, the 
that was Robo Games, and we already they, that was the first fight of the entire event, and we already he already had a schedule for us to fight someone else. And I went up to Dave, and I'm like, Dave, wouldn't it be kind of cool that the champion from last year fights the first fight against the champion from BattleBots? You know, because we were the champion the year before, and um, and he went and changed it and made that the first fight. So that's that's how we got that fight. I put a little bug in his ear. And uh, that's about the time, I think, that Matt figured out how to beat us, which was kind of a pain. <laughs> we must have had three or four tournaments where he'd beat us. And we'd go into losers round, knock everyone out, fight him in the final, and he beat us again. And, and one time it was, um, oh, what was that other one? Uh, now there was another really good robot at the time that was in BattleBots, and he stayed around for a while, but he didn't come back. Uh, I can't remember his name. He had a little lifter on it. It was a big silver wedge. Yeah, and they say your memory is the second thing to go with old age. So <laughs> I go back and watch videos. So. All right, so Ryder has a, a follow-up question. Um, was Cobalt officially purchased by Robotic Death Company? And do you guys have full control over any improvements going forward? Or does Team Carbide still have any say in its future? So do you still talk to Sam and Dave and try to get their, their blessing at least on what you do with, with Cobalt going forward? So I'm always talking to them for sure. And I, I, they're, they're so ha happy with how well we did with it and what we've done with it, but they did sell it to me. And at that time they both were new fathers and, you know, it was during COVID and they, they realized that you, it was a two week time off, you know, two week um, quarantine time. And so they'd been out here four or five weeks and then with the new baby, that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So they did, they had worked really hard to improve Cobalt. They redesigned it from scratch, made it four wheel drive. They made all kinds of improvements, better motors, just a whole better system. And so they contacted me. I'm the first one they talked to. And, you know, at the time, my crypto was doing really well. And I thought, hmm, I, I always wanted to build a vertical. It's the most optimal design. And I already know this robot is is excellent. We, we met in China and we hung out a bit in China. Um, so that that's and they've seen that my whole goal is to make things better over time is to improve it. I don't like making all these changes, you know, and the young guys on the team say, well, let's change this. Why? What failed? What? If it didn't fail, let's not even talk about it. We got things that failed. We got things <laughs> that weaknesses. We, we got to work on that. And they knew I was like that. And that's what they wanted. They wanted someone who was like that to have a uh, cobalt. But I invited them to come be part of the team. So for next season, they're, they're invited and they're thinking about it. They didn't say no. So they... They might come in season seven as part of our team. Oh, that would be so cool to see. Uh, and you know, they're really great guys. Yeah, they're they're just they're so smart too. They're they're just so good. And I even said maybe you should drive it. And he's like, No, I'm not Dave. He's like, No, I'm not doing that. That's you. It's too much fun for me to drive after you you know, you've had it and improved it. <laughs> oh, it would be so fun to see Dave driving that thing again though. It would. It would. Just to see him there, I think, would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, he's a pretty well-liked guy in this sport, for sure. Yeah, they are. They're both, they're both good guys. Yeah. All right. So our next question comes from Will Hahn. He says, I hear you give away most of your win pogs to teammates. When did that start? And uh, what's the idea behind that? So that actually started season five, which is the first season I drove. And we... We did really well that season, right? That's the one with the Sonawayachi um, um, bounty hunter one that we did 
you know, we had seven knockouts in one season. That's ties for the most of any, any yep. robot tied with Fight Force, seven knockouts. And so what I just, after winning, let's see, we lost the very first fight, but after winning the next fight, I realized I have one in my pocket. Let's see, Mike has one. The other guy's on it. Brent has one, but all these other people on the team don't have one. And I just decided then oh, I'm going to start giving these in order of the the people who's helped the most, right? So through through it, it got down to one of the guy's daughters who was there and she was our, she held the lists, you know, the, the checklist between every fight. Right. And that's all she did. And it was, she got the Sonawayachi pog for that because she was the last one that didn't get one in the team. <laughs> it went seven wins. I had seven people. So that that's awesome. Yeah. And I didn't need another one. You know, I already had enough. Of them. I have, I have three. So I have, I want one of every new. When they change the style, I, I just want one of every new one. So I have the original one. I have one of the ones a few seasons ago, and then I have one from this last season. And that's that's it. I have three of them. All right. So we have some questions from Chris Holry, who always has interesting technical questions. So the tall, straight-walled shell that was made to counter Vert, in your opinion, how did it perform? And how might this be modified going forward? Yeah, I think the jury's out in my mind if it worked. Camden thinks it worked. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that damage that we had on it, it was all repairable. And um, it's a lot lighter than our heavy shells. So that heavy shells wouldn't have taken that damage. But the light shells would have taken more damage. Right. So, so there's advantages and disadvantages to that shell. One of the biggest advantages is that it's easier to drive because it has a smaller diameter and when we use the forks the forks are now closer to the wheelbase and by being closer to the wheelbase it's easier to drive so that that is the advantage of that shell and we found that uh the history of having a titanium shell they just are more i don't i don't know the metal is so different it 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 puts a hole in it before it bends the structure so the structure stays true where the the light met steel shell it when it got hit by witch doctor it got bent in a way it could never be fixed it just could not be fixed but this shell got hit i think even harder by uppercut hypershock and it's still true you know it's not a bent up shell it just we patch holes and use it again uh that the original titanium shell it literally did over a hundred fights. And at the end, it was the rain down underneath that was in three pieces that kept the welds kept popping on it. And that's why the new shells have one piece that, that rain on the bottom that gives it the rigid rigidity at the very bottom rain is all cut out of one single piece. So it's, there's no chance for those welds because there's always a spring in the hit and that spring caused those welds on the titanium um, shell to eventually break so much that they can't be fixed. So um, that shell's retired and it's on Brent's wall. He put a, put it on a little motor and it's he could spin it on his wall. I think he posted a video a few years ago when we first retired it. Um, but yeah, there's advantages and disadvantages. And there was hits that hit the side of the shell and it didn't flip us, but it, it jammed us, you know, it didn't flip us entirely, but it put a hole in the shell. And when they get under the lip, it doesn't matter if it's got that flat edge or not. You know, once once a vertical weapon gets under that lip, he's you're in trouble no matter what. Yeah, you're getting launched. Nothing you can do about it. 
yeah, we have some ideas on things to do with that shell, and I don't think they're good ideas, but some of the teammates do. One one is to take a piece of Tegris and bolt it around that flat portion so that it gets hit first before, you know, it gets hit to the titanium, but I I don't I don't really like that idea. So Yeah, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, what is your concern about that? Are you worried it would just give them more surface area to grab, or what do you think? Well, I'm worried that when it gets a big hit, it breaks one bolt and it doesn't break the other bolts, and now it's hanging out there, right? It's in the hanging out in the wind. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to spin with this big piece of tegris bolted on one end to the shell. You know, that that's what I'm worried about. Yeah, that's valid. That's a valid concern. Yeah, and I I don't know. What do you think? I mean, you think there's a chance that a Half inch piece of Tegris taking that hit on the side would would make a difference. Now we use Tegris on Cobalt at Weimars because we fought Scorpios, and Scorpios hit our forks. You know, we made these forks that mounted not forks but the little wedgelets, a lot like the Wyachis. And when he hit those, he destroyed them. I mean, it, he's got a pretty big hit, but he hit that Tegris. It did nothing. It just put scratches in the Tegris. It didn't didn't get through. Point four inch Tegris. That's pretty tough stuff. It is. It's really impressive material. Um, so this is the, brings us to our next question from Chris Horry. A number of builders have been incorporating magnets into their bots over this, the years. Aside from shell shock, I don't think there have been any horizontal spinners that have tried them. Uh, do you think they have any merit? Is that anything that you've ever considered for your bots? Well, Invader had magnetic wheels, and each each magnet on that wheel was... 50 pounds of force, right? And it, they stuck really well. You could, if you took the shell off, you could stick it to the underside of a piece of metal and it would stay. Wow. It, it could hold the whole chassis up. So, but it didn't do any good at all. It, it, once you're out on that floor, everything slips and slides and it's filled with debris. It, it made it worse. It had worse traction with the magnets than without it. And Shredderator has had magnets for a while. He has electromagnets. And he clamps to the floor when he spins up. That's why he can spin up instantly. But I know of at least two fights where he got stuck on, one in China and one in BattleBots. And once it gets stuck on, he's done. He can't move at all. So we even looked at his circuit, Mike and I did, because we're both electrical engineers. And it was perfect. We, we absolutely saw no problem with the way he was turning that electromagnet on and off. But somehow it fails. You know, the FET failed shorted, so it stayed on. And... Yeah, I, I, it's it's tough. You put something more complex like an electromagnet, and you have another failure point. Yeah, which is the last thing you need in, in BattleBots. That seems to be your philosophy over the past few years: is just make the bot simpler and more robust and just more reliable. For sure. And then now we have guys on the team designing into the base plate permanent magnets that will bolt on or off. And I'm like, yeah, go ahead and design it in, but I don't think it's you know, the weight is not worth worth it. Now, I know Tantrum uses them in Blip, and they, they think they work for them. And they do awfully good, but I think they do just as good without them. I, I don't, especially if it's a quarter inch above the metal, you know. And you see Blip sometimes when he's stuck, and he's, he looks like he's grab walking. Well, he got a piece of metal under him, and he's got to wobble back and forth to get it out. And I, I don't, right? yeah, I don't want that kind of... Um, you know, problems. So I might try it this next season and I, I, I may not. It depends on the weight budget. If we have the weight budget, I'll try it, but I don't, I don't want to take off something important, you know, to 
put magnets on. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, especially we saw with uh, with Blip how they got stuck up on the upper deck uh, with their their magnets, where they probably would have been able to wiggle off with even one wheel in that one situation. So, oh yeah, there you go. That's a good example. Permanent magnets causing a, a loss. Yeah, it's uh, you know everything's got their advantages and disadvantages for sure. Um, all right, so we have a a really excellent question from Alexander Archer. Were you guys expecting Cobalt to brutally destroy Ghost Raptor like it was shown on TV? Like, was that in any way anticipated going into that fight? What was your reaction to that? Yeah, that that was the first time we realized what how damaging Cobalt is. I mean, I, I, I saw the duck fight, and we watched some of the old fights. But, you know, they ended up losing that fight, even though it just really beat up duck. But they upped the game on this on this version of it. So the 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 spinner is you know using a lem uh 170 and that's got a lot of power it spins up really fast and yeah i that's when we realized how much power it had and then the gruff fight cemented that uh and then <laughs> the yeti fight cemented it again it's like we were kind of losing that fight in the beginning the yeti fight yeah but once matt got on a corner and hit him one time he was tweaked and once he's tweaked it was over and if you look at all the fights, once we hit somebody, they're tweaked. Even Whiplash, you know, we got one or two hits on him, and they they were messed up. And uh, we, that's what we couldn't shut off the the power on the Whiplash fight because a piece of his robot fell into the power switch, a little <laughs> shrapnel of aluminum, and we you know we kept trying to poke it and couldn't couldn't get it to turn off. So that light LED stayed on, and that's you know Greg was not happy about that, but. Well, yeah, you know, I tried to explain to him that the the drive weapon, the drive power went off, and that controls the weapon, right? Without drive power, you don't have a receiver, you don't have an on-off switch, you don't you don't have anything. You, there's no way to turn the weapon on, so that so it was safe, even though the power was on to the to the controller. But right, but not, I still see where he's coming from on that. I mean, that's a scary situation to be in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeesh. yeah. Yeah, it's better to be safe, I guess. Um, all right, so the next question that I have from Alexander, uh, how would Gigabyte have fared against Mad Catter if that was the bot you had to face instead of Hypershock? I, I think they're very similar robots, and, and I really... They are. I was worried about both. Those are the two. I, I really was hoping that Valkyrie was going to make it all the way through because I think that would have been a great fight. I mean, just it would have been a back-and-forth fight, the whole fight of... Each of us hitting each other. That would have been spectacular. But, yeah, it would have been a tough fight with with Cat King because he's a good driver. He's got a good wedge. And, you know, if he gets us in that corner, it's it's very similar. I, I don't know if his hit's as big as Hypershock, and he's maybe not as fast as Hypershock. So, you know, maybe I'd get a, little, a few more hits on him. So maybe have a little bit better chance in that fight. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Calvin's a lot more uh, straightforward of a driver than Will is, too. Will's a little bit more into the drifting into a hit, whereas Calvin's a lot more kind of straight India. It, it, you might not have had time to spin up with him, too. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't mess around. Um, all right, so will Gigabyte and Cobalt get any major or minor upgrades looking into Season 7? What are your thought processes with the bots where they're at right now? What are some big things you might want to change? What are some little things you might want to change? So Cobalt's all about the ground game. So that's everything I'm doing is, and we had a, a design of wedgelets, spring-mounted 
wedgelets for Remars. And it worked on Scorpios really well. Um, but we made some changes. So there's a little bit of tweaks we made. It's a whole new design, but it's very similar. Not similar enough to use all the same parts, unfortunately. So we got <laughs> a, made a whole new set of little fork wedgelets. And one of the things that happened at Remars is it it um, it got bolted on, but it had to be tack welded. And there was a long piece in the front with a, you know, maybe a 18 inch titanium rod that held the little pivots. And then two separate ones that was maybe a four or five inch titanium rod. But when Scorpios hit that, the big one, it, we couldn't get the rod out. And we only had 20 minutes between fights. Matt got it out. It took him 10 or 15 minutes. But I'm changing it to have all smaller wedgelets so we can just replace wedgelets. So instead of having one big one and two small ones, it'll be five small ones that get bolted and tack welded on the bottom. So they're easy to take off and replace if we need to. But if that titanium rod gets bent, it, you could pop that out of a four inch way easier than a you know, a 12 inch one. So that's, that was the, and then make it a little lower to the ground and uh, maybe stronger springs. We can try that. So that's, that's the majority of what's going on with Cobalt. Uh, Gigabyte, we're changing the drivetrain. So the drivetrain is very, very reliable. It's using the, the mini mags with a worm gearbox that we got surplus and they just never break. We, ne they, we never lost a gearbox motor combo. Um, but they're heavy for the power you get. So we're going to a brushless motor. We also changed the inside structure to be magnesium. We're going to get 10 to 20 pounds to use for other things. And we have a new fork uh, system that we're coming out with that will give us that ability to either make it more rigid so it doesn't fall off or keep that, you know, the idea to fall off if it were in stress. You know, we don't want it to stop us from spinning. So we we are in that process of of doing that. Um, since since I I'm losing three of my main members of the team for next year, I took Cobalt and I have both of them, and I'm making all those changes. And Chewy or Michael Leibowitz is doing the Gigabyte. You know, all the pieces were sent to him, and he's in the process of upgrading both both chassis. And in the meantime. Another thing we need to do is practice driving with Cobalt. So I took an old Gigabyte wedge and I made a Giga wedge. I made a wedge to put on it and we've taken it out one time and go to like a basketball court and kind of bang them against each other. Uh, not a real fight, you know, just you hit once and you stop. And so I'm going to continue doing that. I'm trying to do it every week. We didn't do it this weekend, but uh, I'm going to try to do that every week at least. Maybe bring both Cobalts out there and you know, practice one till the batteries get low and then practice the other one. So practice is really the big thing and, and ground game on Cobalt. And then the new drivetrain, a new fork mechanisms. And I think that's it. Yeah, for Gigabyte. All right. So this is the next question from Alexander Archer. Uh, is the highly controversial upper deck something that should be kept or scrapped? What are your thoughts on it? <laughs> you know, every horizontal spinner in the sport thinks it should be scrapped. It, you know, the vertical spinners already have an advantage, right? All you're doing is you're cutting the arena and really in a third, you know, you're, you're two thirds of the space for, for a horizontal spinner to get up to speed. And, you know, you, it, it's just, 
it, it gives advantages to some robots over the others. That's what I don't like about it. Yeah. Now, I, I did like the, uh, you know, how Gigabyte, when it got up there with Tantrum and got up to speed and I was able to drive off and hit them. That, that put a big gash in their armor, too, right on the top, too. It was really, it was a really fun fight, that fight. But, yeah, it's not good for horizontal spinners, so I don't like it at all. Yeah, I don't think that anybody has a problem with, like, more terrain or different things to to use and work off of in the box i think that this just uh it was big <laughs> it was really big yeah they could have made it in a corner instead you know so you know just take up one corner it would be a lot less intrusive than this 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 created those pockets that just is not good it, they're basically each their own little tiny arena that you're stuck in. Yeah, I know. Everybody, that was like one of the big complaints you heard is like, why didn't Gigabyte go in after Hypershock when they were in that, in the pocket, like right at the beginning when they were starting to have the drive issues. And it was like, well, because Gigabyte doesn't want to go in the pocket. Well, that, and it was hard to drive at that point, but yeah, it was, right. still, driving. <laughs> it was still driving then. It just, I think, I think it was spinning up and it wasn't full speed, but once it got full speed, it was hard to drive. Couldn't move it around. Yeah. Yeah, but I, you're right. I did that against Uppercut. I drove back in to hit him, and I got stuck in there. I should have never done that. That's right. That's right. Um, so the, this is one that, uh, you know, we'll we'll see how we answer this one. But um, why did Matt Maxim decide not to drive Cobalt anymore after Remars? Um, I think he, you know, he retired for a reason. He has some health issues. You know, he's, he's diabetic. And he gets so in, you know, he puts himself 110% into it. I mean, all in. He's an all in kind of guy. And he is so intense. And, you know, to the point, if you don't know him, you think he's rude. That, you know, he takes control. And that is very, um, I think he's got blood pressure issues. And he's just, you know, doesn't, doesn't want to continue anymore. And, you know, I'm not even bothering him trying to get him to come back because I, I realized I kind of talked him into coming back and he was, he had fun and he was excited. And even at Remars, he said, I should drive. And I'm like, no, if this is your last time, you know, and it truly is your last time, I would not want to take this away from you, you know? So yeah, it's kind of sad to see him go. And I, I am still going to invite him. You know, I'm going to, I'm not bothering him now to help with anything, but when it comes close to October, I'm going to say, we got a ticket open for you. you can, I'm going to, I'm putting him on as part of the team, just in case you want to show up even for the weekend or, you know, just Absolutely. to watch that, that'd be totally fine. Um, all right. So this goes into our next question from Steven Eagert. I hear that Gigabyte slash Cobalt team lineup might be different again next year. Uh, can you share who the new captains and drivers for each bot will be yet? So I can share some of that, at least that I know. Um, so the plan right now, since we lost, um, Matt and Wendy and Brent. Brent has cancer, so he's going through chemo and radiation, and he probably will not be able to make it. He won't be feeling good enough to come to Vegas. Yeah. So Brent's the other captain always. So I'm taking over Cobalt. So I'll be the driver and captain of Cobalt. I'm not sure yet who's gonna run Gigabyte. I'm I'm trying to talk to Chewy. I want him to do it, but he doesn't like being in front of a camera. But he's doing the most work. So, and then Mike can't be there the whole time. Otherwise, it would be Chewy and Mike. Yeah. But, you know, you can't have a captain that's not there the whole time. So, I'm going to have to pick one of the young guys, I think, because I don't really have any other veteran guys to do it. 
I'm not, I, I'm not sure about that. So, Are you excited to drive a four-wheel drive vertical spinner? Oh, it's so easy to drive compared to Gigabyte. It is just, you know, I got to drive the last <laughs> fight in BattleBots against, uh, uh, it was a grudge match, so they let me drive it. Um, pardon my French. And it's funny, as at Remars, uh, Scorpios came and looked, and there's a big blue paint on the, on the weapon of the saw blade one. And he's like, how did you get our paint on it? You know, because it's the same color as Scorpios. I was like, well, that's, we tell the future. That's the future of this fight coming up. <laughs> but yeah, it was from, it was from uh, pardon my French. And I, I don't think that fight's available anywhere, but it was a pretty brutal fight. All right. So speaking of Cobalt, Team WPI builder Renata wants to know, I've heard things here and there about Cobalt's weapon using an unknown alloy. Uh, can you describe that a little bit more in detail for us? Yeah, one of the guys, not Sam or Dave, but one of the other guys worked for a defense contractor who made this special alloy for like armor and tanks and stuff. So the alloy itself was uh, researched and it, it was shown to be really, really hard. And he was able to get them to make a one of the weapons out of it. So this one keeps, if you feel those blades, they keep its sharpness really well. And yeah. The only yeah. thing Dave told us is never use it against the horizontal. As long as you're using it against vertical to vertical, you'll never break that weapon. So he made a big AR 500 one that's thick. It's it's thicker than that one, and that's and that has a huge hit too. And that's the one we use for horizontals. Is is the um, AR 500 one? Interesting. Yeah. So I know there's a rumor out there it cost fifty thousand, and that's what that would have cost if he had to pay for it. <laughs> from the company who who developed it yeah so it it is a special metal that i don't think is available still but all i can say is it's close to s7 i think uh, maybe it has a better grain structure or something but there's something about it it's tougher while keeping the same sharpness as a s7 does all right so next question that i have for you is from kyle cuffrey uh he's been doing some interesting design stuff down in the beetleweight realm of life but i wanted to ask this question what changes have you guys made over the past few years to become the most reliable full body spinner? Uh, you've often said that Gigabyte is the best full body spinner in the world. Um, what what makes it the best? What are the the things that you have done that that gets you this reliability to make it the best one? Yeah, and you know I alluded to some of this in the beginning is when when I built the new versions uh, we took one to china one the BattleBot, so we could keep finding issues and one of the first things was self-writing it was intermittent it didn't always work it was and so we iterated that we went to a machine shop in china to change the the piece that holds it so that it it was um it, it was like a flower uh, so it couldn't spin right and we go over there and they're like oh no it's we, we're too busy it'd be too expensive for you to us to make that change for you you know we, i catted it all out and uh we went over there and he goes okay what how much just, just tell us just give us a price and i'm expecting 100 bucks an hour or something because machine shops are 115 bucks here an hour or more and he's like 16 dollars an hour i was like what that's that's your expensive price so we had it made right there between fights put it on and it and it worked perfect and then i kept testing that over the years and changing the pipe shape and changing it to make sure it'll self-write a hundred percent of the time. And we had to have the motor controller to do that because with a contactor, it just slams and you know, it's not that as reliable. So that, that's, that iteration took 
you know, a few years. And then motor controllers, you know, we had to develop our own to get the spin reliable. And that took a few years of iterations on it as something failed or we found something we needed to improve. We made it better and better. Motor controllers for the for the drive. You know, we started out, I think, in Invader with Rage Bridges. Those didn't work out. We tried, um, uh, we went to Vexes because everyone, and I got a pile. I bet I got eight of them in a pile. They, they're they like glass. They, we, we lost so many of them from shock that I took them apart and put them under a microscope and they had Panasonic capacitors and the capacitors, the, the, the leads are in, you know, they go inside the bottom of the cylinder and they break inside the capacitor from shock. And it, if you look at it under a microscope, it looks like it was cut with wire uh, cutters. So you know it was pinched. And so just some shock breaks them. And once you lose the capacitor, you lose the filter and you get all these spikes of voltages and currents through your through your chips and it blows up chips. So that's that's the number one failure on motor controllers. So that, uh, you know, we learned from that. I, the, the VEXs were so, so fragile. I heard that when they first came out, they were just so reliable. And the ones that that's what's in Cobalt. And they've never failed. He bought these years ago and they've never failed. But we moved finally, you know, we've changed shock mounting and that iterated and we found the castle. It's the same one that Adam Wrigley uses um, for his robots. And they're just ridiculously reliable. And I, even those, I take them apart. And the one that did failed, a little board came apart, but it plugs in and it's not soldered. So we just soldered that board on and put Shugu on it and, package it a little differently and they've been indestructible. The only time we lost one was when one of the young guys was helping me and he shorted it and blew it up. So that was, I think that's the only one we've ever lost is, you know, operator error. Um, so, and um, we changed shock mountain of everything. So, you know, we made a battery box that slides in and out that's 3d printed. And that, that was an iteration where the, you know, the, it's not printed 100%. It's like 50% fill. So it's a stiff, you know, it's like a stiff uh, cushion. And so we really never lost batteries either. And the E-Tech was a battle because the E-Tech would fail from shock. And um, Brent took this apart and he hardened it. So the first thing that it failed from was the pull. They had a, a, a bearing holder uh, washer and it would bend. And when it bent, the whole armature would move and hit the magnets. So we uh, 3D printed them out of a real tough steel that was made out of a mild steel and we replaced them. He also changed the distance of the armature to the magnets a little bit farther so it had more leeway to not hit the magnets because that was another problem. And uh, we had to modify, or we always had to modify the brush housing, but that, that's for a different reason. So we had, oh, and he epoxied the, the armature, which is makes it hotter so that the problem with the distance from the magnets and our armature is now when you get in a tough fight with lots and lots of hits we would burn them up at least they wouldn't break from shock though uh and so that we had to move to the lemco we went to a lem 200 and so far those things don't get hot uh we put stickers on the motors the temperature sensor sensor stickers and they stay at the hottest temperature it ever sees so if the mini mags ever see a hot temperature, we replace them. Uh, I try to replace them every season because we have burned them out in China. Ones that I've used over and over and over and over, they, they just eventually wear out and they, 
they die. And when it dies, then you're putting the load on the other one and it dies. And, you know, then we lost the fight. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, little things like maintenance, you know, replacing things and then a, a, a checklist that we, we check everything and we have a methodology of doing things and how you put things together. And from doing it this way, things don't break. And people ask, well, why do you do this? Why not that? I don't know, but it doesn't break. So let's not change it. We lost two, the two fights we lost is because one of the young guys did something different than I showed him how to do it. And he didn't <laughs> say anything. And if we would not have done that, we wouldn't have lost our spin against Cantrum. <laughs> and uh, we wouldn't have lost our power against Uppercut. So, I mean, two things that someone decides to do without telling me that th doing it different than we've ever done it. And he had this reason, but it's like, but why change it if it doesn't break? You know, it's just, it's one of those things that, you know, I can't do everything and I can't be there all the time. So, yeah, it's, it, that's, that was a little bit frustrating. I'll bet. I'll bet. All right. So here's a question that I, I think a lot of people are curious about. Um, so this is from Kikoto, Maine. How exactly do you go about making a shell for Gigabyte? Uh, do you like weld multiple pieces of metal together? Is the entire th thing machined all at once from a billet? What is like the preferred method? And if you could give us a ballpark, how much does a shell cost? So that's a, a good question because a lot of people have asked that question over the years. And the way it's designed from the beginning was all done in a, you know, I catted it all and it's all done with sheet metal. So you cut the two sides out and they look like a C shape and then they get bent into a cone. And then there's a top plate that gets welded and a bottom ring on the bottom lip. And that bottom ring also is the bottom mount on each side for the for the uh, weapon, for the tooth. So so you basically, you cut water jet, bend and weld. That's the whole thing. And Waiachi makes all of our shells. And I'm I'm afraid to go to someone else because he does everything perfect. And, you know, I've, I've heard of other people getting shells made somewhere else and they, they were a total mess. So that's, that is, yeah, that's how those are made. And our original shell, Carl, that uh, my original teammate, he did it in his garage, but they were flat sided. He had a way to roll them. He'd roll it in the two pieces and then weld it and put the top on. And it was aluminum. Our original shell was aluminum. We went to the slanted shell titanium in 2003 for the national championships because our side got caved in by last rights in a fight against him. We were winning, beating everyone, and he just collapsed that side of the shell. And, stopped us from spinning and we won that fight so that that's why we went to the slanted shell to begin with huh how many shells do you bring to a competition typically well i had made two for china and two for you know for BattleBots, so because we fought simultaneously and then we made a third so of those shells one was completely not usable let me think about this so oh Carl took it and made it usable, but it's only usable for one robot if we fight him. <laughs> That's it. And if we fight huge again, we're using that one. It doesn't have the blade mounts or anything, and it's really a light shell. And we got this big, giant piece of steel to put on the top with a giant, like, propeller that'll protect us from his hits, and it'll chop his legs off. So that, <laughs> so that's the fourth, that's the fifth shell, that one. Now, I have an old, so I have, you know, I have 
four good shells, two heavy ones and a titanium one and one light one. Then I have another light one that's just for huge. And then I have that old super megabyte one with the holes cut in it, but that's retired. I, I would never use it. I mean, I could, but I, I just, if you've seen it, you've seen all these big holes in it. You would think, gosh, if a horizontal spinner hit those holes, it would just wreck that. But it's pretty thick steel and it's hardened steel. It was, you know, after it was built, it was taken into a hardening oven and hardened. It was, it's a type of a chrome molly that gets really tough. All right. I want to finish up the listener question portion of this interview with a thought provoking question from Jameson Go. What is the next step in shell spinner evolution in your mind? It has to have the ground game. Without the ground game, a shell spinner can never take the whole thing. You know, it can, I think we could make the final eight, maybe, but that's tough. Just too many good drivers with good wedges that can handle enough hits from us to get us corralled into the, especially now with the, you know, with the little pits in the corners. That makes it hard to get back up to speed. So, yeah, that's it. Without the ground game, I don't see what else a shell spinner can do. Truthful, it's it's kind of a one trick pony if you don't have a ground game. Uh, it's a big hit and it gives big hits the whole fight, but you know, people are trying to avoid the hit, trying to hit us fast, put a big wedge on it. And that's kind of how Matt beat us way back in the day, you know, and people want to do a creative robot and they don't think about that. There's not a lot of big, tough shell spinners out there, right? Treader, when he doesn't break, he's pretty tough, but he doesn't go for a big hit. He goes for a bunch of little hits. Um, so yeah, I don't. I think that's it. We got to somehow figure out a ground game. And it's funny as Matt told me this back in 2017, <laughs> maybe might have been 2016 even that far. He basically said you got to get a ground game because you're never going to, you know, win the whole thing without it. Fascinating. That is that is so fascinating. And it took till now till you're like finally starting to experiment with that and get something viable into the box. That's crazy. Yeah, you know, I had it ready. The season before actually i had it ready in season four but nobody would wanted to use it and i just let them talk me out of it and finally i had to go against the whole team and say we're using it and first time was in china where we won that fight even though it bent and it couldn't spin but they wedge couldn't get under me i was able to push them get them stuck on the wall and we won that fight and then and then again at tantrum so Tantrum said that he thought it worked really well. They were panicking, like, what the hell we do? We can't get under them. <laughs> yeah, and that, that was their whole strategy. That's crazy. Uh, well, thank you so much for talking with us, John. We cannot wait to see Gigabyte and Cobalt in the battle box again soon. Um, is there any sponsors you want to shout out? Anybody you wanna you wanna give credence to before we end this interview? Um, yeah, Max Amps, man. They're they're Actually, batteries are the ones we designed for from the very beginning back in uh, 2017. So they've been our sponsor since, and they've been really good to us. And so we also have, um, they're Exometry now, but it was Big Blue Saw before. So, and they had offered us a sponsorship that we're going to take. So they're going to be our, Exometry will be our new sponsor, but it was uh, Big Blue Saw who did a bunch of our water jet cutting and a bunch of our parts for us. So they, they do really high quality work. And then... Fusion filaments, which um, we all our 3D printed stuff is using there. They have a, a really cool PLA that's tough. It's it's made in a different way that makes it tougher than normal PLA. And when it comes to 3D printing, PLA prints better than anything. I On my 3D printer, I have problems with anything but PLA. T, TPU prints really nice on mine too, but I can't print 
anything else. ABS or nylon doesn't really print well. I, I don't know why. I haven't figured that out. So I think that's uh, so Wiley Coyote Machine Shop. That's Brent Riker, and he's done a lot of our machining. And when we lost that mast against Tombstone, he just drove home and machined the new one on his machine in his garage and <laughs> drove back. <laughs> so that a brand new one. Yeah, uh, he's so awesome, and he's taught me so much about designing mechanical stuff and what can be manufactured and what can't, and tolerances and you know, I understand tolerances and everything for electrical engineering, for frequencies and voltages and currents, but, you know, the mechanical thing's a whole different ballgame, which I've learned since, but, you know, it was a learning process. All right. Well, John, thank you so much. Uh, I certainly learned a lot this interview, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Thank you. This has been fun. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to Houston, where researchers at Rice University have made a major breakthrough in necrobotics, the field of science where we turn dead bodies into robots. In this experiment, researchers injected air into the bodies of dead spiders, giving them the power to turn the spiders into little robotic claws capable of picking up objects. These necrobotic spiders are able to, to pick up 130% of their body weight and survive 1,000 open-closed cycles before their bodies break down. The researchers say necrobots could one day become cheap, effective, biodegradable alternatives to current robots. So, um, spiders. Yeah. Dead bodies. Yep. Uh-huh. Evil claw machines. Yep. What's your thoughts on all this, Luke? Kyle, all right. Here's 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 my thoughts. All right, uh, these uh, these researchers at Rice, right? Uh, they 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 go and uh, they leave the university immediately. Get hired by Amazon. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, like in like in their warehouse division, you know, once uh, once you know people die, you can just electrify them back to life, so they continue to sling packages. For another thousand open and closed cycles before their bodies break down. It is the corporate uh, hellscape that um, you know we've we've all been worried about. You know, can we can we bring out just a little bit more productivity? You know, even uh, even after we've passed on. You know, that makes sense. I mean, you can't really worry about workers' rights when the wor- worker is deceased. <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. Not a problem. Yeah. You know, like I, I you know, like in, in the past, you know, you, you know, you, you might, might turn over your body to science and now I'm just going to turn over my body to capitalism. So uh, <laughs> it's horrifying. Um, now on a separate but, but related topic, would you play a claw machine game where the claw itself is a uh, necro robotic animated dead spider? All right. I, I, I feel like, you know, Listen, the majority of these claw machines, the claws are so weak. I, I take any advantage I would get, you know, like hook this up to a tarantula or something. You know, I'm going to win those those giant stuffed animals. Yeah, that's actually a great idea, right? Like a tarantula weighs like what, like half a pound? 
yeah, 130% of their own body weight, man, that yeah. you can lift up all sorts of stuffed animals with that. That's a valid point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they do have to replace it, you know, every couple of days. So, uh, you know, they've right. got a box of, of tarantulas back there that they've got to euthanize and, you know, reanimate. This is horrifying. It's terrible. I hate it. Why do we do this, Kyle? <laughs> First of all, I did not know necrobotics was a field of study. I, I think it's new. I think that they, they pinned the term themselves. Oh, good. Good. Yes. Also, I am not surprised it came out of Texas. I don't know why I'm not surprised about this, but uh, I'm not surprised. I think they have a lot of spiders there in Texas, Kyle. They have a lot of scary animals in general in Texas. <laughs> Yes. Well, that's it for us this week. Uh, We want to thank Nicole for editing this week's episode. As always, thank you so much, Nicole. And we will be back in your feed next week with another mystery guest. See you then. Bye-bye, guys. There once was a bot who's from the sea. The name of the bot was the Kraken of Teeth. The lights went up, the buzzer sounds all go. My scaly girl go. Soon may the spinner man come to knock her teeth right from her gums. She'll take her teeth and go. She'd not been two weeks from shore when out did come her metal jaw. The captain called all hands and swore he'd take that spinner in tow. <gasps> Soon may the spinner man come to knock her teeth right from her gums. One day when the fighting is done, she'll take.